Jesus came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are done, being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went out among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. How do you see Jesus? And is your vision clear? When John Newton penned Amazing Grace, he had just been saved from a storm at sea. And he had indeed been a wretch, by all accounts an unpleasant character. What isn't so well known is that after he wrote it, he carried on working in the slave trade for a few years more before he decided that that too was incompatible with his Christian faith. So he may have been blind and then able to see, but not completely clearly. So what about us? How do we see Jesus? And is our vision clear? I know that when my faith came alive, I thought I too had been blind and now could see. And it's been an interesting journey over the years, having more and more blind spots revealed. I once was blind, but now I just have tunnel vision. The writer and psychologist M. Scott Peck says that we all carry around with us maps of the world that have been shaped by our upbringing and experience. When we meet a truth that doesn't fit with our worldview, there is one of two things we can do. The first and effortful thing is to look carefully at the new information, test it out and see if it's true. And when we discover it is, to revise our map of the world. 
You, like me, may have been one of those who did that last night. We had to actually realize that we'd got through to the semi-finals. The other thing we can do with a new piece of information, either passively or quite actively, is by rejecting or attacking the bringer of truth. That happens in a very real way, even now, with the Flat Earth Society. It is a real thing. There are real people out there who think the world is flat. We saw it in Donald Trump's refusal to accept that he wasn't the person who won the election. But flat earthers and Donald Trump are the extremes. Most of us just have small failures to revise our maps. Or we only trouble ourselves to change our maps when everyone else has changed theirs. There were those who argued that seat belts were dangerous because they kept you in a seat after an accident and the fire crews wouldn't then be able to get you out. Now, although there's a grain of truth in that, you won't find anybody spouting that nowadays as a reason why they don't wear their seat belts. Pretty much we all just put them on. So what about us? How do we see the world? And is our vision clear? Are we prepared to be map revisers? Or do we think our map of the world and our map of the church or our map of faith is just the way things are? That we don't have any need to change, to make the effort to change the way we believe or don't believe, or the way we worship, or live our lives, or use our money or our time. When Jesus spoke God's words, it did make him popular with the crowd, but much less so with the religious authorities. For them, his words represented a threat, a threat to their power and position. And in the end, instead of them updating their maps to incorporate the truth Jesus was telling, they nailed him to a tree to shut him up. Recently, I saw a really encouraging report on Facebook. Um, It's mentioned also in the Church Times this week about a new church that has opened up in the heart of Rochdale in an old Chinese restaurant. It was able to open because it won a large grant, but it's already seeing people coming to faith who have no faith backgrounds and lives are already being changed. What shocked me to see this on Facebook was that somebody had put a crying face response on it, meaning they didn't approve. And I drilled down a bit to find out who this was. And I found they were somebody from a traditional church background. I'm guessing they were lamenting about the money that had been spent getting this church off the ground, which could have gone to support traditional churches, put more vicars in parishes. Now, they may have a point, but having worked in the inner city, you need a lot of resource to get things off the ground there. I wonder if the person who objected 
was simply not prepared to revise his view of the world, which said that the only right way to do church was the way that he liked and knew. To my mind, it was a sobering reminder that we need to be constantly prepared to have our current view of the world revised. Because the alternative, not being open, can be pretty serious. In our Gospel reading, we have what is quite a brief interlude, not perhaps the most exciting of the stories in the New Testament. Jesus goes to his hometown. The people there are astounded by him, but ultimately took offence at him and didn't believe. Now, they were certainly confronted with something that didn't fit with their worldview. Someone they had watched grow up was preaching with authority and apparently had just raised a little girl from the dead. They were astounded. They had big questions. And those questions made them feel insecure. They were in a state of turmoil that naturally comes about when faced with some facts that didn't fit their worldview. And there were two ways out of the dilemma. The first was to suppress their knowledge of what Jesus had said and done, or to explain it away somehow, and reject the idea that he was anyone special. The second was to say, perhaps he is who he said he is. Perhaps we should take him seriously. No prize for guessing which one was the easiest. And so the people of Jesus' hometown rejected their Messiah and in the process cut themselves off from the source of healing. But the process of questioning and challenge is not just about our lives of faith. It extends to how we live out our faith in this world. We need to be open to the questions that life, that church raises. The people of Jesus' hometown weren't asking the wrong questions, they were asking the right ones. Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? But their trouble was they were too quick with the answer. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and, Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? He can't be special then. They knew him, they thought, too well. The harder and infinitely more exciting answer was that God was doing an entirely new and extraordinary thing. That the incarnation, that God becoming a human being, meant that God was fully human, so human that his own people dismissed the possibility of his being anything other than human. So how will we know what are the right answers to questions of life and faith? I'm afraid I can't help you there. But perhaps we need to be open to questioning the status quo. Perhaps we need to listen more carefully to those points of view that seem uncomfortable or strange. Perhaps we need to allow others their right to question and not close in on the answer too quickly. 
He can't be the Messiah. But whatever the questions we may have, we're called to throw ourselves into life, to trust and work within what we know and don't know, to do the most important thing, which is to love. To love one another, and perhaps to try our best to love God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. We mustn't allow our questions or doubts to paralyze us from living out the truths that we do know about the gospel. We mustn't allow our questions to make us cynical. This church, along with many others, is facing huge challenges, partly brought about through COVID. But one thing is for sure. For us to grow, we're going to need to do some things differently. What those things will be will become clearer over time, but some of them will probably only become clear as a result of trial and error. And so may God give us the courage and energy to be prepared to take risks. But most of all, to be open to being like John Newton, prepared to revise our maps and to keep on doing so that God's kingdom may come and his will may be done. How do we see Jesus and his church? And is our vision clear?